It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The holiday season is upon us. For many, it can be the most wonderful time of the year, but for others, it can be the loneliest. If you've lost a loved one or suffered a breakup, the holiday season is a constant reminder of the loss. Grief at any time of the year is painful, but it feels especially traumatic during the holidays. Joining us today to talk about how we can navigate loss during the holidays is Dr. Pilar Jennings, a psychoanalyst who focuses on the clinical applications of Buddhist meditation. Dr. Jennings is the author of the book to heal a wounded heart. Welcome, Doctor. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Joan. I'm very happy to be with you. Doctor, anyone who has suffered a loss will tell you that the holidays can be excruciating. Why is this such a difficult time for those of us who have lost loved ones? Yeah, I really appreciate the topic because I have noticed, certainly in my work as a therapist, and just as a, as a fellow human being, that there's often a huge gap between the fantasy of what we'll experience during the holidays and the reality, in part because we're, we're inundated with images of people coming together, families coming together and cooking and enjoying each other's company, a real sense of bounty. But if there's any experience of isolation, which really gets heightened if there's, a, if there's a loss, then the gap between the fantasy and the reality becomes even more cavernous. So instead of feeling connected, we might be feeling radically isolated or alienated, and that can be very painful to, to sit with. That's something, Doctor, that I experienced personally from the time I lost my mom and my sister, my father, my brother, my marriage ended. And so all of my nuclear family members are gone. And when I went through all of that, watching other people, you know, I, I had grown up in a, a large Italian family. And so holidays were a big deal to us. Everyone was welcome. There would be 20, 30 people. And then you watch these Hallmark movies. And like you said, we have this story that we've written for ourselves about how we expect things to be. And when that is no longer the case, it is devastating. I, I remember, and social media is horrible this time of year. And I really do, to this day, avoid it around this time because you watch mm -hmm. all these people and you think everyone is living these hallmark moments. But obviously that's not the case. But everything you just said about feeling alienated, feeling like you are the only person who's alone, it really wreaks havoc on your mental health. Yes, it does. And, and it's almost an unbearably sensitive time when there's a, quite a bit of loss. 
because, of course, as you, you noted in your introduction to, to the program, loss at any time is hard. But then when you contrast that radical aloneness with the human longing for connection, and that really is just part of the human condition to feel close to others. And it sounds like you, you have some personal lived experience with family coming together and a sense of bounty, even for people who don't. There's just a part of the psyche that longs for that experience. And so, again, just grappling with the, the distance between what we need and long for and the reality of being bereft or disconnected, is, it's tough to bear. It's possible. There are ways to bear it, but it is, it's very painful. We're addicted to comfort and certainty, and so... This time of year, for example, if you are a divorced couple and now you have to share your children, and so it, mm. it, it really shines a spotlight on all of the things you might be navigating throughout the year, but it just seems so much worse right now. It, it's not the family you thought you'd have. Maybe you're not with your children during a holiday mm. time, and, and everything just feels so much worse. That's right. It, it does, which is why we need self-compassion when we're navigating the holidays, just as an antidote to any, any self-attack, because often when we feel lonely or disconnected, there's a tendency to blame ourselves just for the feeling. And so if, if it's possible to tap into a little bit of genuine tenderness on one's own behalf, little bit of self-compassion just to notice it's not easy to feel alone during a time when we imagine other people are enjoying friendship and family etc that can actually be a very effective antidote to the the edginess of the pain because it's like there's a softer landing inside us for the suffering of of loss I think self-compassion, as you're describing, is so important because when you're feeling that way, you tend to beat yourself up because then you say, well, why am I feeling sorry for myself? Look at what I have. I should be grateful for all these blessings. And and it's very easy to go into this vicious cycle of putting yourself down for being sad during a time when you have very valid reasons to be sad. So I could see how going easy on yourself and being compassionate is a wonderful place to start. Absolutely. And it sounds it sounds so benign, but actually it's very powerful. Because just as you're describing, Joan, what typically happens is if we have any difficult feeling, whether it's sadness or grief or alienation, then there's the proverbial second arrow, the part that says, I shouldn't be feeling this way, or if I had gotten things right, I wouldn't be in a situation that's causing these feelings. There's often a whole cascade of self-blame, and then that, of course, just intensifies all the suffering. So part of the practice is just, just observing how we're responding to the aloneness or the grief. Is there a way to, to greet it with a little bit of care, a little bit of respect, maybe even some curiosity? Or do we get locked in that self-blame and the self-attack? Doctor, these are very deep-rooted stories that we've written for our lives. And when they don't 
happen the way we planned or expect, how does a person even go about beginning to write a new story? Yeah, for most of us, it's a process. It doesn't typically happen all that quickly because as you're noting, our stories get pretty ingrained. And there's a reason why. I mean, when we're very young, we need roadmaps, right? We need to be able to anticipate what we think is coming next in relationship in our life. And so we cultivate these, these beliefs, these narratives about who we are, about how, how to make relationship work. And then when something happens that interrupts the story, it can be extremely disorienting, extremely frightening, and there's usually a tendency to try to grab onto that story and find our way back into it. But of course, that's not always possible. And many of us discover that around loss. Right? When, when we lose people we have loved profoundly, then of course we change profoundly and our sense of who we are and our sense of the world we're in changes. And so part of what we have to do is be really patient (laughs) with the process of Mm -hmm. getting reoriented to basically being in a new life or a life that's radically changed and then letting new stories develop over time. And the patience is really critical because there's usually a lot of resistance to loss itself, right? Even though we all know we're, we're going to die and everybody we love will die at some point, there's still often a compelling fantasy that we can hold on or we can hold on for a long time. And then when that fantasy is challenged, it will take time both to just experience the shock and then slowly, slowly cultivate a new sense of what it means to be alive what it means to be in our particular life. Doctor, it's not easy, but it is so worth it because if you don't do the work and and you're not patient, what happens is the new story becomes the pain. It becomes the story of your life that you're this victim and things happen to you. And that's where you can get stuck. And, you know, that happened to me for a while. If I'm being very honest in the beginning, I was stuck with I'm alone, this is my life, and, and that's no place to stay. You don't want to stay there. So what you're suggesting is very necessary, but it, you know, it's not easy, but it is worth it. Yeah, I, I so appreciate that point, Joan, because I do think that it's a human part of grieving is to feel deprived and victimized. It's just that we need to be able to eventually observe the function of that feeling of victimization. For for some of us, it might come with an unconscious hope that other people will be more likely to notice our pain and suffering if we're staying in a victim's position. It might come with a sense that we're entitled to our rage if we stay in that victimized position. So it's helpful to get really curious about how long that stage lasts. Again, with patience, because depending on the nature of the loss, this might be a lengthy process. But in order to genuinely heal, eventually we're going to need to come to accept the loss and then rebuild connections that 
might generate love and intimacy and fulfillment, but accepting that they have, they have died and we now have to carry on. And there's an element of faith involved as well, because you have to believe that you can get through it and that there is something, you know, I hate to say better, but different, that can be just as good. Because the problem is when you're in that dark place, when you're in that pain, you can't see the the end, you can't see the future. And so I, I, you know, I think that's what keeps you stuck. But when you can find a way to believe that it can get better, I think that's a strong motivating factor. You're absolutely right. I mean, often, often when we're really in grief, the imagination can get a little narrow, right? It's, it's like we burrow into that place, in part because we're, we're very sensitive creatures. And so the way we have experienced relationship with a particular person or particular people is unique. Mm-hmm. There's, there's never going to be a relationship that exactly replicates that experience. So it's almost like always living in the same house after let's say 50 years and then suddenly you have to move it's going to be really disorienting and it can be very tough to imagine that anything could be as good as that first home but you're exactly right over time we might even discover some new aspect of relationship even if it's subtle Mm -hmm. that's healing that's enlivening And that's also new for us, but it does require some curiosity and and some willingness to continue to accept that we're going to be we're going to be navigating new experiences. Doctor, how important is it for friends and relatives to open their homes and hearts during the season to someone that may be in pain? I would say it's critically important since we're relational creatures. And we, we really can't get through a single day in this life without others. During the holidays, it's so important to notice who could use a warm place to be, right? Who could benefit from feeling welcomed, invited in. And it, it really doesn't matter how, how close we are. Every one of us longs for care and safety and affection. So the more generous we can be, the better. Just be aware of who do we know or who who do we know who knows someone who might be in need of some company, right? Some some friendly companionship on a particular day. Yeah, and I think that's such an important point because like I said, I remember when I was growing up, everyone was welcome. It was like what or two or three more people will just make do. But today in our society, we, we tend to be more closed off. And, and I think that what you're saying, to be mindful of someone in pain and to make that person feel less alone is such a vital part to the healing. It is, and you're right. I would say this might be the blessing of the holidays is that there's an opportunity to practice that inclusivity and to experiment with being a little bit more open, a little more receptive. And doctor, a a general healing question. How can meditation help someone in grief? Well, there, there are many different ways to meditate, but even very simple uh, mindfulness meditations that just focus on the breath are effective ways of regulating the autonomic nervous system. And when we're grieving, Often we're also extremely stressed, which means that all the stress hormones are are flowing. 
And so when we do very simple, even rhythmic breath work, like just noticing the in-breath and the out-breath for five minutes, it doesn't have to be much longer than that, the nervous system will be responsive and will start to feel a little bit safer. And then the mind will follow. So I, I encourage folks, even if they're convinced it's not going to help, just, just to give it a try because they might notice it, it offers some relief. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Jennings and her work, you can visit PilarJennings.com. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I really enjoyed and appreciated our conversation. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.